Drabblecast, episode 368. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. HP Lovecraft Month really gets kicking here this week with the first of our original commissioned mythos stories. This week we bring you Restless in Relier by Oliver Buckram. Oliver Buckram, Ph.D., writes science fiction and fantasy. He lives in the Boston area, where, under an assumed name, he teaches social science to undergraduates. His fictions appeared in Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Interzone, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, The Travelcast, and other places. He urges you to keep watching the skies. Keep up with Oliver at OliverBuckram.com. Our story is produced this week by rotating Drabblecast guest producer Adam Pratt, and boy did he do a good job as usual. This one, folks, is such a great story, and it's a Drabblecast original. It wasn't easy to give the production up on this one, but I'm glad I did, because Adam is worth it. Reading in the full cast production, you'll hear Trendane Sparks as Dr. David Saperstein, Jacob Boris as Fearful in Fargo, Amy Sturgis as Worried in Wichita, and Nick Cam as Restless in Rullier, or Cthulhu. All music is by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incompetech.com. So without further ado, we bring you Restless in Rullier by Oliver Buckram. Dr. I'm a 44-year-old librarian, librarian from Kansas, from Kansas and, a loyal and a loyal reader of AskDrSaperstein.com. Last night, after a relaxing day spent gardening, binge-watching America's Got Talent, and organizing my snow globe collection, I had a nightmare. A hideous, octopus-headed monster performed a ukulele solo on America's Got Talent, then killed and ate Howard Stern. Afterwards, Heidi Klum chanted tunelessly in a harsh alien language, possibly German. When I woke up, I was filled with unspeakable dread, and the snow in all my snow globes was, was whirling, whirling around, around as, as if, if someone, someone had shaken, shaken each, each one. one. What, what could it mean? mean? Worried in Wichita. In Wichita. Okay, so we got, um, let's see. Dear Worried, Freud teaches us that dreams reflect unconscious conflicts. Your monster with the phallic tentacles obviously symbolizes latent sexual anxiety. The fact that your monster kills Howard Stern reflects normal wish fulfillment, but the fact that your monster also eats Howard Stern reflects a potential oral fixation. Everyone has these issues to a lesser or greater degree, and everyone has the occasional nightmare, so I'm not overly concerned about your dream. Unless it causes you continuing stress or recurs in the future, I think you'll be fine. David Saperstein, M.D. The, the, okay, that letter from Wichita, we got the one from there. Right. Yo, Dr. S. S. I'm, I'm a, a college student, student in, North, in Dakota. North Dakota. When I read I yesterday's letter from Worried in Wichita, I was like, whoa. Because I dreamed about the exact same octopus-headed monster on the exact same night. 
I also went to sleep after watching America's Got Talent. In my dream, the monster was lying in a chamber dripping with a sinister green ooze. It was horrible. Now I've developed an intense fear of the color green and can no longer eat guacamole. What, what should, should I, I do? Fearful in Fargo. Well, okay. Dear Fearful, dreams often reflect ideas and images from the previous day. Freud called this phenomenon day residue. In this case, two unrelated people dreamed about a monster with tentacles shortly after watching Howard Stern on television. Stern's hairstyle is distinctly tentacle-like, so I think that explains the coincidence. Your sinister dripping ooze, on the other hand, has great significance. I suspect you have an anal fixation. I recommend weekly psychotherapy. Once your underlying issues are addressed, you'll regain your ability to enjoy guacamole. David Saperstein, MD. All right, I think, I think okay, and, um, yeah, all right. Dear Dr. Saperstein, I'm an ancient ancient malevolent entity residing in the nightmare corpse city of Relaire. Although I've been dead for untold millennia, lying here in my cyclopean stone tomb with its loathsomely non-Euclidean architecture, I still experience vivid dreams. How is this possible? Is there medication for my condition? I'd prefer a nice restful death undisturbed by my dreams. Restless, Restless Dear Restless, it's clear that you have many issues. First of all, at some level you must realize that you are not really dead. Instead, isn't it more accurate to say that you are, like everyone, full of life and the potential for self-fulfillment? Next, you describe yourself as a malevolent entity. Are you sure that's true? That sounds like a label that other people have used to define you. Is that really who you are? Is that who you want to be? If you're experiencing distressing dreams, then the solution is not medication, but psychotherapy to identify the underlying conflicts. While medication is sometimes helpful, there's no substitute for regular treatment by a skilled psychoanalyst. David Saperstein, MD. Dear Dear Dr. Dr. Saperstein, we're in Wichita Wichita here again. again. Well, Well, last last night night I had another dream about the octopus-headed monster... This time, he was in this ancient underwater city full of monoliths and giant statues. In my dream, the whole city violently emerged from the Pacific Ocean, and there were huge earthquakes around the globe. When I woke up, there was an actual earthquake right here in Wichita, and my house shook so hard that some of my snow globes fell from their shelves and smashed on the floor. Then I turned on the TV and found out that an ancient city actually had appeared in the Pacific Ocean. What's What's happening? happening? Am Am I I going going crazy? crazy? Worried in Wichita. Dear Worried, we're all shocked and concerned by the recent geological upheavals. In these troubled times, I'm not surprised to hear that you're having disturbing dreams. In your anxiety and confusion, you've gotten mixed up about the sequence of events. 
Obviously, you must have dreamed about the earthquakes after they occurred, not before. So I want you to relax and not worry about the Pacific Ocean. You can't control the Pacific Ocean, but you can control your own emotional focus. Right now, you need to concentrate on being your best self. David Saperstein, MD. Dear Dr. Saperstein, Saperstein, it is I, the restless invalid, writing to thank you for your reply to my letter. It touched me to my very heart. All my life I've been called monstrous and grotesque. So your kind words were as welcome as a human sacrifice at the winter solstice. However, last night I had yet another horrible dream. It started well enough. I dreamt I was floating in space surrounded by tiny frozen worlds, each beautiful world the home of happy winter creatures cavorting amid steam snow. But when I reached out to touch the nearest one, they all suddenly hurtled down into an abyss and smashed to pieces. When I woke up, I felt anxious and sick to my thorax. It seems that everything I touch, I destroy. Please, Doctor, can you help me? Can you help me? Restless in Rilea. Restless in Rilea. Dear Restless, I'm sorry to hear that you're experiencing unpleasant dreams. Again, I think you'd benefit from intensive psychotherapy. You mentioned previously that you live in the Nightmare Corpse City of Ralea. I assume you mean the Nightmare Corpse City of Raleigh, North Carolina. I can recommend several excellent psychotherapists associated with the medical center at UNC Chapel Hill. I attempted to send you their names, but for some reason, my emails to the address on your profile, theglue.mukluaf.cthulhu.ralea at elder.god, keep bouncing back as domain not found. I tried it both with and without the apostrophes, but it still didn't go through. You probably need to talk to your internet service provider. David Saperstein, MD. Dear Dr. Saperstein, you remember me, Worried in Wichita, the one with the dream about the octopus-headed monster. Do me a favor, turn on CNN. See that gigantic octopus-headed monster destroying Australia and New Zealand? Quite the dink, wouldn't you say? Now, I'm not the type of person who goes around saying I told you so. But really, you've got to admit there's something strange going on here. Please, don't try to tell me that I've gotten mixed up about the sequence of events. That's the type of nonsense I'd expect from Dr. Phil, not from you. If you need a reminder of the sequence of events, scroll up and note the date of my first letter. Yep, there it is, dated a full week before the monster appeared. What does your precious Freud have to say about that? Now, I'll admit that my dream didn't predict all the recent bizarre news. The interdimensional rift in Vermont, the roving bands of goat-headed demon warriors, the amorous fish folk who are flopping out of the oceans to join Match.com, JDate, and Tinder. 
But one thing is clear. I do not have an oral fixation. Nor does Fearful and Fargo have an anal fixation. Instead, what we have is prophetic dreams. Don't you agree? If you hadn't dismissed our concerns, we could have prepared better for this worldwide calamity. Here in Kansas, we already have riots and looting. I have a feeling that those looters are just itching to get their hands on my snow globe collection. Worried in Wichita. And, um... Dear Worried, I know it may seem like your dream predicted the future, but rest assured this is merely a coincidence. Sometimes a dream about an octopus-headed monster is just a dream about an octopus-headed monster. Now, I know everyone's talking about fleeing to a safe place or stockpiling food and guns, but let's try to keep some perspective. The important thing is not how to escape the roving bands of goat-headed demon warriors, but how you feel about roving bands of goat-headed demon warriors. You need to take ownership of your feelings and set clear boundaries that both you and the warriors can respect. David Sapistein, M.D. Dr. Saperstein, I apologize for the tone of my previous letter. It was over the line. I was angry. But I'm not angry anymore. Instead, I'm back to being worried. Right now, I'm worried about you, Dr. Saperstein. I saw on the news that the octopus-headed monster has emerged from the ocean in New Jersey and is lumbering in the direction of New York City. Aren't you in New York City? I think you better skedaddle if you haven't already. Worried in Wichita. Yo, Dr. S. Just dropping you a line to say I've been working with a therapist to overcome my fear of the color green. And it seems to be working. Of course, guacamole has been in short supply ever since California was overrun by mole men. But at least I'm facing my fears. Also, congrats on your new gig. It's pretty cool that that monster lurching through New York was actually just trying to find your office. I guess now you're a big shot, all sequestered with the monster in an Air Force base. And the giant couch they're constructing in that aircraft hangar? Totally awesome. You won't find a couch like that in Ikea. LOL. Rock Rock on, on, dude. dude. Fearful in Fargo. Dear readers, AskDrSapistine.com is going on hiatus for a little while because I have a new patient, Mr. Cthulhu, who requires my full attention. Right now, I'd like everyone to respect Mr. Cthulhu's privacy and refrain from attempting to contact him. I appreciate all your messages of support and concern, and I'm sorry I can't respond to them all individually. David Sapistine, M.D. To whom it may concern. With the encouragement of Dr. Saperstein, I'm writing this message as part of the therapeutic process. You may know me as Restless in Mulaire, but my real name is Cthulhu, spawn of Azathoth. I am an ancient and powerful deity, but I am also a unique individual with complex emotional needs. Today, I'm taking control of my feelings by writing this letter of... Apology. First, I'd 
like to apologise to the human race for eating Australia and New Zealand. The truth is, I'm always very grumpy when I wake up, and I compensate by overeating. I now recognise that I should have been satisfied with eating Australia only. Sorry. Second, I like to apologise to my cultists for neglecting them. Over the centuries, they've given me so much support and love in the form of prayers, frenzied orgiastic dancing and ritual murder. Where others called me loathsome, they saw my inner beauty. And yet I've done so little to repay their fanatical devotion. Ever since I was a hatchling, I was taught that I should be monstrously indifferent to humanity. I see now that this uncaring attitude was wrong. So today, I say to all my cultists, thank you. Cthulhu hears your prayers, and you shall be richly rewarded in the coming time of changes. Please, keep building those temples and sacrificing those virgins. If you can't find a virgin, try the math team. <laughs> that was a joke. Dr. Sapenstein says I'm developing an excellent sense of humour. On a more serious note, my final apology goes to the individual who's been the biggest victim of my actions. Myself. I acknowledge that I need to work harder at accepting myself for who I am. I deserve love. No matter what my brother Hastur the Unspeakable or anyone else says. In conclusion... I'd like everyone to know that my therapy is going very well. I'm making progress in working through my many issues and developing coping strategies. Dr. Saperstein says that after perhaps five or ten years of therapy, I'll be ready to achieve my life goals, whatever they turn out to be. Very truly yours, Cthulhu. our story. Only at the Drabblecast, huh, folks? Next week's original commissioned story is going to be just as good. For now, though, it's time for H.P. Lovecraft's nameless, unutterable, maddening madlibs. H.P. Lovecraft's inane, inconceivable, maddening madlibs. Brought to you by Subway. Eat fresh. You probably know the drill by now. If you follow the Drabblecast on Twitter, at the Drabblecast, you might just be lucky enough to catch us when we're mad-libbing. We throw out various word requests, like need a plural noun, need a convoluted adjective, need a replacement for the word swarthy. I pick the ones I like best and plug them right into a exceptionally Lovecraftian piece of Lovecraft. You'll see what I mean. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter, at the Drabblecast. You might just catch us next week. Special thanks to our maddening Mad Lib Twitter contributors this week, C.C. Finlay, Adam Caldwell, Robin Orr, Jack Nutting, Micah Joel, B.N. Prime, Carolyn M. Yoakum, Michael Gray, Manuel Labor, Jen, and Lawrence W.S. Here we go. When Randolph Carter was 30, he lost the key to the Gate of Dreams. 
Prior to that time, he had made up for the prosaic, achy breakiness of life quite consistently with nightly bouts of shambling shadow haberdashery that stretched endlessly across the strange and ancient plains of both space and Cleveland and time. Where the blasphemous moose mumbles, the blasphemous, and the lovely, unbelievable chorus of woodchucks chant eternal across farty, miasmal seas. But as middle age hardened upon Carter, he began to feel these Icarus, hamster-derived solutions slipping away little by little, until at last he was cut off altogether, his thoughts no longer assailed by the slouching, muppet, mongrel half-breeds and their accursed subterranean mounds. No more could his galley sail the swift, Stygian corridors of Shit Creek past the great gilded halls of the Hall Monitor King, through the seedy rest-stop bathrooms of towering Thon. No more could his squamous clowder of cats tramp through the perfumed jungles of Charlie's chocolate starfish factory, where forgotten palaces, with their veined and ivory dangly bits, sleep lovely, unbroken and eternal, under the Pale Gibbous Table. So Carter tried to do as others did. He pretended that the common events and emotions of earthly minds were more important than the fantasies of sugar-dusted polar bears from beyond, of ancient sunken mausoleums and rare and delicate sets of steak knives that few men encounter but in the most restless of radaminthine visions. He did not dissent when they told him that the animal pain of a wheezing aardvark or a hapless menstruating plowman in real life is far greater than the peerless ovarian beauty of long-forgotten downtown pound town with its hundred carven gates and its shunned half-buried donut shops. Yet Carter dimly remembered them still in his fevered and wettest of dreams. forget the peerless ovarian beauty of downtown pound town not i all right folks let's keep this twitter train rolling with our hundred character story winner this week by erica weems here goes so cute she declared playing with the baby's toes she tickled them once more before putting them back on the shelf One hundred character stories, not counting spaces. We have a weekly contest in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. You're welcome to join. It's open to the public. Give it a shot. You might be next week's winner. 
All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Travelcast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. This whole thing ain't free for us, folks. We rely on your generous support to keep the show going. Find donation options off our website, travelcast.org. We greatly appreciate it. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Carly Lynn. Carly's an illustrator and graphic designer who loves creating concept art and cover art for authors. She can be contacted via her Facebook page, Carly Lynn Book Cover Design. Our program this week was brought to you by Chief Editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you of the animal pain of the hapless menstruating plowman.